I've been a dad for almost 16 years, and in that 16 years, there is one skill that I have developed that has grown exponentially from when I began 16 years ago, and it is this, the skill of fort building. I've built a lot of forts. I've built a lot of blanket forts and couch forts and moved furniture all over the house. The basement is where it's most common to find a fort. I've done that with both my children, and occasionally they still want me to build a fort. What's interesting about building a fort is that uh, no matter how good you are at it, no matter how strong you make it, how high you make it, how uh, intricate you you involve it, uh, you put all the pieces together, you hang out, you spend some time, maybe you set up the TV in there or a, a little projector, and you, you maybe have a sleepover or something, but the fort no matter how good it is, is not a permanent place. It's fun to think about building forts as kids. We build forts in this world. Places, kingdoms that are not meant to be forever. All kingdoms rise and fall eventually. And just like uh, after the, the fun is over, I'll tell the kids, okay, it's time to put it all away now. And we'll you know, pull the furniture back and take off the blankets and, and, and reassemble everything as it was supposed to be. Because we understood that that fort was not a place of permanence. In the world, there have been many kings and kingdoms that have come and go. The Egyptian Empire, uh, the Babylonian Empire... You can see the ruins of these empires today. We don't think of Egypt as a powerhouse nation anymore. We don't think of the Babylonian Empire as a mighty force to be reckoned with. Uh, nor the Greeks who, who gave us so much in their kingdom. Or, or the mighty Roman Empire. Even that, although we have the roads and, and they gave us many things, we no longer have a kingdom of those types of any consequence. But 2,600 years ago, there was a prophecy made and God gave it to a king about a very different kind of kingdom, unlike any other. And we're going to talk about that kingdom this morning because it's very different than all other kings and kingdoms that have ever been before or ever will be. And so this morning's sermon is going to be a page turner and I mean by that, I want you to get your Bibles open because we're going to have a lot of Scripture to go through. And that's important, not because of my sermon, but because it's God's Word that has the power. And if you don't have it open, and I'm including those of you on your couch at home, if you don't have God's Word open, what chance do you have for the Word to impact and to penetrate and to teach you? The Word is powerful and effective, not the preacher. I'm just a vessel. And so open your hearts and your minds and your Bibles as we talk about this unshakable kingdom. It's different. It's unlike, one, un, unlike a kingdom that we've ever experienced or will ever experience on earth. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28 is really the theme verse for our year. We already talked about it a little bit, but I'll read it again for review. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28, the, the writer there says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. 
And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Sometimes I believe we take the church for granted, the the eternal kingdom that you and I are a part of, and the scripture calls us again and again to be grateful for such a kingdom. A lasting kingdom, an indestructible kingdom, a kingdom with a perfect king, and a kingdom that cannot be shaken. When you're a part of that, whether you're here this morning or you're watching online, may you understand that if you're in Jesus Christ, you are part of the body of Christ and indeed an unshakable kingdom. More powerful than Rome, mightier than than Babylon, uh, longer lasting than Greece. The, the, these kingdoms were all temporary. As I said, King Nebuchadnezzar received a vision of this kingdom. It's described in Daniel chapter 2. You're going to have to go Old Testament for the next set of scriptures. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and it disturbs him greatly. And Daniel is called in to interpret the dream. And that dream is about kingdoms, temporary kingdoms and eternal kingdoms. And he describes this powerful image that is before Nebuchadnezzar. It's made of gold, it's chest and, uh, the head is gold, the chest and arms are silver, the middle and thighs are of bronze, it's legs of iron, it's feet partly of iron and partly of clay, and these represented the different kingdoms that were to come. King Nebuchadnezzar was the first. He was the head. And and as we progress downward through this image that Nebuchadnezzar had, you see the, 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 the metals, the substances of which these kingdoms are made, are less valuable, but they're more they're stronger. And so this is an interesting vision. But then there is this different kingdom, and, and Daniel speaks of it. Starting in verse 44 of Daniel chapter 2. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. It shall stand forever. Just as you saw the stone that was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Theologically speaking, there are some churches that teach that the church was really an afterthought. That, that Jesus shouldn't have been crucified, but he was, so the church was kind of a plan B, if you will. That's not the teaching of Scripture. The teaching of Scripture is that the kingdom was always a part of the plan. That the king certainly was a part of the plan. Now, some people kind of get into, well, do you follow the man or the plan? Do you follow Jesus or the church? And the answer should unequivocally be yes. You can't separate the king from his kingdom. John the Baptist came 
on the scene, and his mission was to prepare the way for those for the king and his kingdom. Turn to Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. John the Baptist, as he prepares the way, this was his mission, this was his calling. He did not come to be the Savior, he came to prepare the way for the Savior. Let me just start there at the beginning. In those days, as Matthew records, Matthew chapter 3, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, John the Baptist prepares the way. Then Jesus comes on the scene, and as he begins his public ministry, note that the kingdom is not yet here. John the Baptist said, make way for it, prepare for it, it's at hand. What did Jesus say? Turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Now, after John was arrested, this is verse 14, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, so the the, the kingdom of God is still at hand, and John the Baptist and Jesus were preparing, were, were preaching about this kingdom and saying, get yourself prepared. The word repent, not a popular word in today's culture, simply means to agree with God. Repent says, okay, if, if this is what the Word says, then I agree with that. All right? Now, that's not a popular thing, but this is what, what Jesus teached as he preached about the kingdom. Uh, we're not there yet. Turn to the book of Luke. He says to his disciples in Luke chapter 21, and he sends them out. I'm sorry, this is a, 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 a reference to wrong scripture. Luke, Luke chapter 21, verse 30. Lesson of the fig tree. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you that this generation... This generation, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So we see the kingdom was at hand, it was near, and that those living at that time in that generation would not pass away before the kingdom began. Jesus said, listen, it's like the fig trees. And we don't have a lot of fig trees around here. But you and I know that somewhere around March, if it warms up early, you know, you'll go out and you'll, you'll be in your yard and you'll see little buds coming out on the tree and you'll know that spring is close at hand. It's not here yet. You'll still have some, some mornings you wake up and you can see your breath and there's, there's frost on the, on the glass. But it's, it's close. It's at hand. That's what Jesus is saying with the fig tree. You, you can look at these things in the natural world and you can tell. Jesus is saying in the spiritual realm, we see the signs that things are near. The kingdom is close. 
So where we see this fully come into play is in the book of Acts. And, and as we look at the kingdom, as we think about, there are four things that we learn about this unshakable kingdom that's unlike any other. That you and I, through Christ, are a privileged part of this kingdom. It's an honor to be a a part of this eternal kingdom that's different from any other. The first thing that we note about this kingdom is that it is an eternal kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. This kingdom is different, as we said, from any other. I want you to think about this. When Jesus called his disciples, he called together a tax collector named Matthew and a zealot named Simon. Now, can you imagine, follow me if you're following me on the camera here, can you imagine, they didn't have tables like this, but let's just for visual purposes, imagine bringing a tax collector and a zealot together. Now, you and I can't relate to those terms because we don't have tax collectors and zealots in the sense that they had. The tax collectors supported Rome. They, they collected revenue for the kingdom of Rome. The Jews hated them by, in large measure. When you see tax collectors referred to in the scripture, it's tax collectors and sinners. And so they were at the bottom of the social order. At the other end of the table are zealots, men who wanted to overthrow by any means necessary the occupation of Rome. Now, think about it in a modern sense. This, this would be like a, a MAGA hat wearing, you know, got the red hat on at one end of the table and a member of Antifa at the other. That's maybe a little closer to trying to imagine what it was like. How do you get two men who are so diametrically opposed to one another at the same table? Well, unfortunately, the Scripture doesn't give us direct answer. Of course, it's Jesus. Jesus could do anything He wanted. I, my, my personal, in studying the teachings of Jesus, is I believe that Jesus brought them to a higher table. He called them to a higher kingdom that was not of this world. A kingdom that had nothing to do with Rome or anything like that. They, they so often, when Jesus talked about kingdom, they understood it in earthly terms and Jesus said, Jesus taught often that he was talking about a spiritual kingdom. Turn to the book of John. The end of John, uh, Jesus is there with Pilate. You see that Pilate wants to give him an out. Almost really say, hey, look, look here. <laughs> um, tell me about this king that you say you are. And uh, we're in chapter 18, starting verse 33. So Pilate enters his headquarters and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation, the chief priests, have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom 
is not from the world. That is a simple and yet profound truth that we need not forget. Jesus is king and we are part of his kingdom. And though we are on earth, our kingdom is not of this world. Be very leery of getting caught up in earthly movements and dragging earthly ideologies and politics and things into eternal kingdoms. We have no leader but Jesus. We have no creed but the Bible. We have no book but God's Word. I've heard of churches where people want to have Book studies on whatever the topic is. Book studies. And I'm not against reading books. I read a lot of books. That's fine. But be, but be very leery about studying a book outside of the Word of God. Because the Word of God is divinely inspired. The Word of God is perfect. And it will instruct us accordingly. And so if you're going to read a book, make sure you, you go back to the book of books. If you're going to study someone else's teaching and doctrine, square it with the Word of God. Because ours is not an earthly kingdom. And to pull an eternal kingdom into an earthly order is, is trading the timeless and eternal for that which is passing away. The world's and its opinions will change all the time. We are called to be people of an eternal kingdom. This is why Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, for those of you still on the page turning, I know some of you have given up and just said, I'll just listen to what Toby says. Well, that's good because my word can be trusted 100%. That was a joke. Need to confirm that. You just talk to my wife. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The word says this. You, but you, but you. The, 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 the first word, but, being a conjunction, meaning a, 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 a different direction that, that the writer is taking. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are a different kind of people. In a world that is passing away, we are of an eternal nature of a world that's opinions change day by day and with every single news cycle, we follow a word that is unchanging. Peter says there, and it's interesting, he says, the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Called out is literally what the word church means. Ecclesia, the called out. Be careful of letting earthly movements take hold in the eternal kingdom of God. Second, may we remember that the kingdom started small, but in a mighty way. 
The kingdom was not inaugurated with spectacle and splendor and pomp and circumstance. We're going to see that happen this week in an earthly kingdom. But the kingdom didn't come in that way. Acts chapter 1, if you are caring to keep tabs on the preacher and make sure he's cutting it straight, Acts chapter 1 is where you want to go. Acts chapter 1, the story, the acts, the actions of the apostles. Verse 3. He, that is Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Verse 6 of the same chapter. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has Fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this is exactly what we see happen when we jump over to chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, and the fulfillment of what Jesus said is exactly true. And there the church began. A small number but a mighty number. And we'll see that small group of leaders, of of uncommon, ordinary, really uneducated men, change the world and turn it upside down for the kingdom of Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes, and we see the, the kingdom come with power. And Peter preaches the first sermon And he says, at the end of the sermon, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and the rest of the Peter, he said to the Peter, the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and he continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. And we watched the church just take off like a rocket and spread throughout the whole world. And it wasn't because of their power. I'm sure Peter was a fine preacher. He certainly had the gift of gab, but it wasn't by his power that he did that. It, wasn't, it was the, the spirit that God poured out to them and that, that we in Christ can have the gift of today. The kingdom started in a small but mighty way. Third, the kingdom begins to advance boldly. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are quite courageous about the message that they have, the message of the gospel. And they are quite adamant about this, and so they're put into prison. And chapter 4, verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported to where the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together 
and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, and said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is one of the characteristics of the kingdom people that I love. And I want to challenge all of you to be. A bland world needs a bold church. A bland world needs salt and light. And Christians to be talking and thinking and acting just like the world will not allow us to stand separate and apart from the world. The the, the early Christians, when faced with consequences, with challenges, sufferings, and persecution, they did not cower back, but they prayed for boldness. And they prayed for courage. And God blessed them in a mighty way. And may the church here at Northside, as we continue as kingdom people, be so bold. Whatever happens in the future, may we continue to be people who are bold and courageous for God. Paul, Acts chapter 28, verse 31, Luke records that he proclaimed the kingdom of God teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So we see this boldness in the kingdom people. May we continue to see that boldness as we proclaim the excellencies of him. And finally, we see that the kingdom is indestructible. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Now when, this is verse 13, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, he's not saying he's building the church on Peter. That's not what he's saying at all. He's using a little word play there, actually. He's saying that confession that you just made is bedrock. That's the confession upon which he would build the church the confession that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell 
shall not prevail against it. Twenty centuries have passed since Pentecost, and maybe twenty more still to come. I don't know. Or maybe just, maybe just hours away. I don't know. But twenty centuries have passed. Kings and kingdoms have risen and fallen, and the unshakable kingdom continues. And you and I share in that legacy. God's kingdom, the church. And so we want to be and remember that we are part of the eternal, the mighty, the bold, and the indestructible kingdom of God. That kingdom, by the way, is open to anyone. But there is only one entrance in. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There's one kingdom that will outlast all kingdoms. There's one king that far surpasses all other kings. And the one way into the kingdom is through the king himself, Jesus the Christ. It's open to all, but it's not appealing to all. You see, you can't be in the kingdom of God and still continue living like the world. You can't be in the kingdom of God without repenting, without agreeing with God that you're a sinner, that you have sin in your life that you need to repent of, and that you need Christ for salvation. And if you are of that conviction this morning, and you know you need Christ, you want to be a part of the eternal kingdom, then I beg you, this morning, now, don't wait, to be a part of the eternal kingdom by being baptized into the eternal king. If you're ready to do that this morning, if you're watching online and and you know you need to do that, why don't you reach out, send us an email to office at northsidecoc.org and we'll see to it that we help you to do that. Or if you're here this morning and you need to begin that first step into Christ to be a part of a kingdom which will never pass away, The invitation is yours this morning. And for the rest of us who are a part of that kingdom, may we not forget who is king and what kingdom we are a part of. If you have a spiritual need or if you need to put on Christ, you can head to the back. Our shepherds will be there to await you at this time. We'll help you in any way that we can. Whatever need you might have, please come as we sing this next song.